uh, as a as a ex Christian or current Christian, it it helps getting rid of should and shouldn't. Um, just kind of take the shame out of it. So that would be my recommendation: is just listen for the should and shouldn't. I know we talk about our haters a lot, but uh, and and for someone who doesn't have any exposure to all that shit, it can sound like we're just like posturing. But no, it's real. <laughs> it's very real. If we weren't good at what we were doing, people would not be paying attention. Don't hate us because we're beautiful. <laughs> uh, you know, we really care about the material and we care more about the material than locating people's feelings. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self president with Wing 458 Trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self president sexual 9 with 1974 Trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self president with 854 Fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self president social 3 wing 4 with a Three, six, nine, trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. This is Big Hormone Enneagram's 100th episode. We have been uh, fucking talking to each other for at least 100 episodes. Just curled up all in the same bed, all together, talking <laughs> about the Enneagram over 100 pile. times. Big cuddle pile. Uh, platonic life partners with benefits and uh yeah so we're here thank you for listening if you've listened to any of our episodes uh hopefully some people called in with some interesting stuff for this for us to discuss and uh i i sound like shit because i'm uh, i got omicron (laughs) and uh we're just we're just vibing yeah uh for our 100th episode Shout, shout out to everyone who sent in submissions. Uh, we we really asked for people to send stuff in, and y'all responded in a big way. We got over 14 submissions. We are going to try to get to everyone's, but you know some of them are too long, and so we're going to severely edit what you sent in. <laughs> <laughs> and take issue with you. <laughs> yeah, bully you as we respond to the questions and comments that we're so grateful to have. <laughs> <laughs> that we completely asked for. We are going to. Right. <laughs> oh, so we uh, wanted submissions, but we didn't really want this much. But thank you anyway. You did it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, attachment to disconnect as well. Uh, um, yeah, we have some plugs again before we get into stuff. Uh, please buy my book, Instinctual Drives the Enneagram. Please buy David's Trifix Guide, which, like, it's a visual guide on trifix and stems and it gives you even if it's not you're not interested specifically in trifix it gives you an energetic flavor and aesthetic for each of the types that i think goes a long way that written descriptions can't do there's uh i was just interviewed by the practical enneagram podcast uh on the instinctual approaches so i know that we did an episode there but i think it'll give another point of view or flavor to them and it was a good talk uh what else we got on the mm, dark, dark arts, arts yeah, just check out Dark Arts Academy. We have a Christmas special dropping this week. I think we have, I'm pretty sure we've already announced that it, the Christmas special will be focused on the typings of Michael Jackson and Leonardo Del Rey. And we also uh, included Nicole Kidman for contrast. So those are generally contentious, uh, contentious typings that people have argued about for many years. And uh, we didn't really want to do videos on. Michael Jackson. I don't really know very much about 
the controversy behind him. So you can tune in to see my uh, real-time reactions <laughs> and disgust at the Michael Jackson <laughs> saga. <laughs> oh, God. That's social blindness. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know. I had no idea what yeah. the fuck. Oh God. So uh, that was that was interesting. And uh, yeah, nineteen bucks a month, anygrammar.com. And also, I've been urging everyone to uh, you know upgrade the sound quality of our production of this podcast and everything we do. And so we've been raising money, trying to raise money for newer audio equipment. If you can hear, um, David and uh, John and myself have clear. Audio, it's new really microphones. just me at this point. <laughs> but I, I think you have less of an issue because your voice just, I mean, I think some female voice just voices, angelic? It just works. <laughs> You'll sound better, obviously. But. Penetrating. <laughs> I all think right. we, all, we all sounded like shit, you know, before in comparison to what we sound now. But we're raising, That's true. Uh, you know, we're trying to raise 500 bucks. Thank you to those who've already sent in some money to help us. Uh, we have a PayPal account at bhepodcast.gmail.com. And also, if you prefer Venmo, you can send uh, some money with the note that it's for the BHE audio equipment to the Venmo account E-M-E-K-V. Um, speaking of uh, cash, I'm planning on uh, starting pole dancing lessons now that oh. I have some uh, time. So if you just want to come to my pole dancing classes, you can just throw cash at me there. There you go. We'll be we doing a-, a live streaming of Nancy pole dancing as well. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> If I'm not immediately good at it, I will quit, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to get started. There's a lot to get through. Again, we cannot spend more than five minutes on any of these. And if if we don't adequately answer the question, we will probably... It's your own fault. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to just ignore you or we'll uh, devote an entire episode to the question if it's something that we can really delve into. Hey, I'm just calling to leave a little review for your 100th episode. Um. So I don't really have that much skin in the game other than I've been listening to a lot of it. I haven't been studying the Enneagram that long though. Only like six months. So I don't maybe get as attached to things that you say or other people that have been studying for like years and years and shit. The one thing I would say though, I've been thinking about why people get so offended by y'all. And I think that what it is is that when you're talking, it's very clear that you're a group of friends that talk about this shit all the time, and it's like almost like you've formed your own language around it. And so there are some times where I'm listening, and like I don't quite understand what you're getting at because you all have developed this like shorthand between the four of you. And so I don't ever get a... I love love the pod. It's great. I listen all the time. Uh, I sometimes wish I could be in the room, though, so that I could like stop and ask you to say something differently because I didn't quite understand it because you're using a shorthand. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great. Keep it up. Thanks. All right. That's the first one. I guess that's some feedback on sort of uh, our own context uh, deficient forms of communicating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, we've been doing it. This now for a hundred episodes, we're probably gonna say things that we get and other people don't understand at all. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would, like, I think that's definitely fair. Uh, but you know, this is friends talking about what's interesting to us, you know, and uh, we're not trying to replicate like a, 
a course, like a mm-hmm. teaching course. Right. And like maybe we'll offer those in the future where we kind of organize thoughts and we, you know, in, like are more instructional. Right. But, uh, and I think that's where a lot of Anywhere in Podcasts go wrong, actually, uh, and why they get very boring is because they try dry. to be dry <clears throat> instructional. Like, you know, people used to actually uh, like pay for fucking courses and stuff like this. And now it's all free and stuff, but it's also all wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's like if you can hang, you can hang. If not, you know, whatever. But well, it's also kind of like if you listen to podcasts that don't have anything to do with the Enneagram and how many podcasts that are popular because it's just a couple friends talking shit. Like a lot of podcasts are just people talking shit. It's like, you know, the medium of radio. Like what's morning radio? It's just like dumb conversations about vapid shit. But yeah. we just happen to be interested in the Enneagram and these are conversations we're having anyway. And on one hand, it's like, in, like entertainment just to listen to people talk shit but also there's a lot you can learn because we are interested in, in picking apart and gaining new insights and that's generally what we do when even when we're fucking around uh, but i don't understand people who use the podcast medium to necessarily like try to teach because it, it should be it's entertaining because it is just people just talking just be with us feel our presence <laughs> we appreciate your listenership and your uh absolute lack of attachment to yeah I, our yeah opinion. fucking dig that actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's dope anyway moving on okay if you guys were a drug which drug would you be and also which drug do you think is um best fit for each stacking mm. that's, a good one. <laughs> that's entertaining well David <laughs> would be an ambient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a sleeping pill. <laughs> ambient, you say? Not mushrooms. <laughs> maybe, maybe heroin. Maybe because it's it's it yeah, you heroin. Out. Yeah, heroin's uh, down, but it's subversive. But, well, but you got to do you know some kind of hallucinogen to fit in with the. Huh? That's true. So, that well, is I very think true. it's a combo: heroin and mushrooms. Is that that's what I? Okay. Am. Yeah, I'm done with that. David would be like whatever like I mean I know it was some form of heroin but whenever you see those like white guys have wandered into like Chinese heroin dens in like the you know (laughs) late 1800s or something (laughs) you know sort of psychedelic and like their shirt is open because they're just sweating and (laughs) (laughs) they're laying on a bunch of pillows and rugs on a velvet couch yeah Yeah, exactly yeah Um, oh man I haven't I haven't done DMT but I would probably think uh if I were a drug, that I'd right. be some combination of coke and <laughs> some other. Yeah, because I'm I'm gonna just punch you in the mouth, like <laughs> But there's gonna be some weird shit there that's gonna make you like make you really upset. So maybe some kind of like DMT black hole or something where it's like I never want to go back there again. But that was fun. <laughs> I think um I think John is that uh like cactus you find in the <laughs> desert. What is that pie? pie? Peyote. Oh, peyote? Peyote. peyote! Yeah, peyote. Yeah, that's John. Oh, what about that <laughs> shit that comes that's milked out of a toad? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. this crazy psychedelic experience that at the end you like vomit and want to die, but also it's life changing. You're sitting well, in your own feces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, when I one drug I'd propose, uh, I only done it once because uh, I've joked about it a couple times that Jamira, who did our our five calls, um, she and her boyfriend like. 
brought me to their place one time and were like, hey, this is like a mild dissociative. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Oh, God. And it turned out to be like related to angel dust or something. Oh, my God. Mm. And I had this extreme experience of like of disassociate. Like uh, she was like a snake goddess. It was like all, you know, but it was like fucking wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like I felt wrecked after that for days. Like some, it took a part of my soul. <laughs> so maybe something like that. Something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. That's about right. The second part of her question, we might not have much time what, to get Wait, into. what am I? What is Nancy? Oh, yeah, Nancy. Sorry. I wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. The, for, the, the one you forget about. That's, okay. that's the one I am. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Marijuana. Nancy. I feel like Nancy, yeah, would be something like that you would take when you're in a mount, on the top of a mountain uh, with your dog that you're overlooking the oh, Appalachians, yeah. the oldest, like one of the oldest mountain chains on the earth. I also think she'd be something that would not prevent you from going to work the next day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can power through the next day. <laughs> I am efficient. I give you a, a, a psychedelic trip, and then I move on. <laughs> Doesn't ruin your work yeah. life. The ketamine only sure lasts means. like an hour or something. Oh. oh, ketamine. There you go. I've never done ketamine. I need to do ketamine. Yeah. All right, time's up. Okay. Um, oh, she had a, but the other question is. Yeah, we're not, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's we're cutting out her off there. Um, question for Nancy. Hi, this is mostly a question for Nancy. Um, I'm a triple frustration seven link six SPSO. Um, I recently got into like a sort of sugaring relationship with somebody. Um, I'm a stripper, so I'm not like I'm not a stranger to sex work. Um, he. The problem is that it's changing from what I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought it was just going to be a fun thing. Like, I was going to be a fun person for him. And I was going to give him, I was going to be more clear. Like, you buy me these gifts for this business I'm starting and, like, help me set that up. And I'll exchange that for erotic massage or sex, you know, whatever. Um, the problem is he has not taken me up on the sex and he keeps buying me things and then he keeps wanting to treat me like I'm his girlfriend and I've asked him straight up like why haven't he had sex and he said he wants it to be special which makes me feel super uncomfortable and trapped Um, because honestly I'm losing interest in this guy I liked him at first like genuinely was attracted to him but he's just got these like annoying particularities that I would have dumped somebody by now for. Um, so what do you think? Should I just like fuck him and get it over with? Um, should I back out of it entirely? I feel like if I fuck him and get it over with, like that's a bargain for him because he hasn't, you know, he's just spent a couple hundred dollars. But um, yeah, what should I do? Thanks. Bye. <laughs> what a fun situation to be in. <laughs> uh- <laughs> I had the same question myself for Nancy. <laughs> Should I fucking get it over with? I don't know. See, the, the problem I've run into with men like that is that they then um, want to, like, own you at the end of it all. Like, mm. once you fuck. That's what she's concerned about. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but that's not that's not the situation that you want to be in. Like, I've been in that situation, and it gets fucking dangerous fast. Like, not cool. Ended up in like dragged into a manic episode with a dude. Not fun. So 
if you're feeling like he's not um, liking the kind of relationship that you have offered him, I feel like you should cut it off. Because in sex work, there's plenty of people who would be totally down for what you're offering. 100% down. I think what she's saying is that she's not, uh, or yeah, she's not liking that he's doing this kind of power trip thing and not doing. Well, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, he's he's like, I want I want this to be special for me, and not a transaction. But it the reality is, it is a transaction, and if he's not cool with that, then he shouldn't be with you right he should be with someone who is going to view it less transactional and more as a relationship with money so i think you should just say this is what i want and if you aren't about that then i'm gonna leave because i i see that getting dangerous really fast like honestly not not vibing with it i'm all about uh Nancy, sex work advice. Uh, <laughs> sex lines. work advice. Yeah. Sex <laughs> yeah, work advice column. Fe- my, feature my of our go- show. <laughs> my go-to advice for sex work is if your gut ever feels leave. Right. Just leave. You're absolutely 100% right. Trust your gut and leave. That's how I am with the women that hire me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why David and I have worked out so well in the long term. You know? <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to figure out if she should stick around and make something work with someone mm-hmm. who's already made their intentions clear, you know. Well, I mean, it's kind of a sweet gig for her a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's nice to have that money. It's hard to... So, it's, it's going against, like, the logical side of things. Like, oh, I'm not having to do anything and I'm getting money. Like, why mm. do I feel uncomfortable? But yeah, you feel yeah. uncomfortable for a reason. You feel uncomfortable because he's not respecting your boundary, even if that boundary seems like he would be 100% down for it. It doesn't matter. He's not in it the way you are. I guess the hook for her is the money. Is... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a logic issue. You know, it feels weird to just be like, I'm not vibing with this. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Keith from Michigan. My question is, what advice or insight would you give people of faith, uh, specifically Christians, who are interested in learning about the Enneagram, anything in particular they should pay attention to, uh, prepare themselves for, or be willing to challenge? Thanks. Damn, this is a great fucking question. A, that is yeah. a really good I respect question. this question. Because, like, the first thing, like, my, my major criticisms of, you know, a lot of uh, people coming from a Christian point of view is, like, looking at things in terms of, like, a, um, like, acceptable, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. kind of spectrum and um that background has a lot of emphasis on goodness and what you know and, and being good and you know uh, and how you know whether that's measured through faithfulness or whatever and what suffers or gets lost is like curiosity and acceptance and you know uh one of the principal things of inner work is we can't be at war with ourselves which doesn't mean we shouldn't change or correct our negative patterns but if we see for example that we're acting out our passion uh, of our Enneagram type, not to go, oh, I shouldn't do that and try to counterbalance it, which is just playing into the same personality's clutches, but to be really curious and present with it and more invested in it and not trying to get rid of it, just like really trying to, like, what is this? I'm frustrated here. Like, what it, what's going on? Um, and, and just being like, this is a feature of my personality and it's not me. And um, 
also for Christians, just like do some kind of like I don't know aesthetic. Some, like I don't know how to how, like, how to cure a, a bad aesthetic. Like oh yeah, that's fair. Um, smoke some weed. <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean like uh, like I love like him off Clinton. Wilfredo Lom and like these kind of like artists you know like just like just like expose yourself to like an aesthetic that's like outside of what you can google search in mm-hmm. easy you know like anyway. we we had done an episode that was unreleased on Christians and the the sort of like uh wave of Christians coming into the Enneagram and how, how that's sort of dominated the Enneagram on social media and just sort of examining what is wrong with Christian church culture and, you know, just all these things that we're talking about, how there's an inability or refusal to look at the shadow of things. There's like a reality distortion that happens in the church where reality and, you know, facts and all those things are, are discarded. Anything that goes against what the Bible says or what your pastor says is uh, not respected. And I also think there's kind of like a, because I'm not looking at the ugly, I'm not exposing myself to things outside. It shows up in the way people present themselves, where it's just very uniform and very um, almost like disturbingly blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Devoid of any personality. And it, there's a way that people delete their own individuality to <clears throat> fit into that church culture. There's something about maybe this is an attachment thing, but there's something about like attaching to church culture that needs to be addressed for Christians that are getting to the Enneagram. Like, you know. Peeling yourself away from what's expected of you in that world would be something to look at. Yeah. I think the best thing that I have worked on deconstructing from the faith is getting rid of should and shouldn't just in my mental vocab. Um, And even being able to pick out when I'm thinking I should or I shouldn't do blank. Right. Mm. So just being able to hear that. Um, insertion of shame into actions is a big thing to do uh, as a as a ex Christian or a current Christian. It it helps um, just kind of take the shame out of it. So that would be my recommendation: is just listen for the should and shouldn't. That's uh, another good thing too that you kind of reminded me of is like uh, you know in Christianity you're kind of just trained to not everybody's like this, but I think it happens on a more subtle level than most people initially see but that uh you know you're kind of trained to take somebody else's word Mm -hmm. right or take somebody else's interpretation and so uh you know like you might have a lot of respect for us or maybe you don't (laughs) and uh (laughs) whatever and it's like you know learning to discern on your own terms like what's worth keeping what's worth discarding that's that's a skill and i think a lot of christians have uh, been kind of in this, like, let me find the right thing to fill myself with rather mm-hmm. than how do I kind of do my own pruning or whatever of content. And so, like, that's just a trait that you got to learn. And I think Enneagram's a great place to, to learn that because you go, okay, I think I'm a type three. All right, like, what does vanity mean and mean? How does it feel? Does it feel like the way I expect vanity to look in other people? Or, do, like, like, what is it in myself? And where does it show up in my body? And how's, you know, this kind of, and being like, oh, maybe everybody's wrong about this. Like, those kind of things is, are, are, are important to use. Um, yeah, and also just sort of like the way that affects people, the way people, that lens, how it affects the way people look at types. And a lot of the pushback we do with Not A Four is just to combat 
the Christian view and how that affects the inability or the refusal to look at the negativity of types. Um, for types like type four and type five, the Christian lens really prevents people from accepting that you have a type that's oriented generally to frustration and negativity and hatred. That really doesn't fit the Christian narrative, the Christian culture. So looking at the ways that the Christian culture might prevent someone from seeing their types or types in general accurately. And I know we got to get going, but lastly, I think also considering the early church, uh, like Evagrius shit that a lot of the Enneagram stuff comes from actually, like like the Gizmoy and what those were about, like the sentiment was to uh, see what takes our attention away from the divine rather than finding a, something to be rid, to rid ourselves of. And so like uh, you can find like how the modern ways of thinking about um, some feature of Christianity have actually distorted the uh, more, what I would say, genuinely spiritual aspects of, of, of Christian, Christianity and to find the real Christian spirituality. Do mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. Weed, for do real. mushrooms, find good art. Maybe not that, but... <laughs> okay, so this is the 16-minute question. I'm only going to play the first couple minutes, and then she had something towards the end as to what she wanted to see us, uh, episodes she would like to see us do, so I'm going to play that. But she didn't really have a question. She just had some comments that were actually interesting to listen to. Hold on. This is my congratulations for your 100th episode. I've been following you guys regularly since episode 82, which is not so long ago, really. I found out about you when an internet acquaintance stumbled across your Not A Five episode, uh, came to a great epiphany about how she's actually a nine and decided to share the audio with anyone who might be likewise confused, so I guess thanks for helping her with that. My own interest in typology had kind of waned after a phase of being obsessed with it a couple of years ago. I felt I had exhausted the topic, but checking out your podcast, I saw that you had some genuinely new insights there and a lot of detailed material that made me appreciate again what sort of predictive power this system really has, even in sort of details that you wouldn't think that a rough classification like that could capture. I quickly ended up binge-watching a lot of the episodes. My favorite ones were the object relation daggers one, as well as the type dating horrors. First, because they are just illuminating about people in general, but also because I found them useful as like a hobby writer, because I think any good work of art needs to capture at least some spark of like genuine human absurdity. I'm always a bit surprised when I hear you guys talking and talking a lot about getting those extreme responses. Of course, I know haters are going to hate. I've been on the internet long enough to know that. But when I saw your disclaimer and so on, I first wondered if, okay, are, are these guys trying to be macho or what? Like those uh, so-called uh, think tank people who say are so controversial or, or what is that but in, in watching the episodes it became clear that you actually do seem to get huge lots of negative or just disproportionately emotional sort of feedback and I, I just from from hearing you guys uh talking there I, I really don't see how it is I'm, I'm not just saying that I I was really again I first I thought you were like exaggerating <laughs> 
As far as the future, to, to end it, as far as future episodes I'd like to see, I think the idea of doing um, this episode about type 6 and acting tough and approaching this from a fair and empathetic way seems like something that could really act as a key to understanding in today's polarized climate, like this is something that in this era is needed. Also, I don't know exactly when it was, but you guys mentioned at some point that you considered doing an episode about how the type, what the experience is from the inside versus the outside and that whole contrast. I would be hugely interested in that. And I feel it's probably a genuine barrier for a lot of people beyond just descriptions being bad. Uh, that is, since there can be a discrepancy between inside and outside, people don't really see themselves in the outside descriptions. Okay, looking forward to many more cool episodes, whatever you decide to do, I have some trust that it's probably going to be cool. Uh, yeah, her original comment was just giving props to the show, how she found us, and genuine surprise that we do get a lot of hate, <laughs> and then what she wanted to see. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, um, but yeah, I appreciate it all. Uh, yeah, and it is a thing, I know we talk about our haters a lot, but, uh, and, and for someone who doesn't have any exposure to all that shit, it can sound like we're just, like, posturing, but uh, no, it's real. <laughs> it's very real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think I've mentioned this before, but, like, I mean, some of the shit I'll, I'll find what people say, like, I, somebody called me a sociopath because online I would say I'm a sexual nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Part of the hatred I've come to understand is if, for example, if you are short, ugly, and very <laughs> obese, and you have no talents, and you're an asshole, like, people don't even have any investment in hating you. It's only when you are smart, intelligent, attractive, capable, talented, that the hatred goes, grows to an exponential level. And, you know, you can just be excellent at anything. People that are generally likable, and I've seen this in just about any field, uh, athletes who are likable or uh, who are really good, they just get, like, undeserved hate for whatever. I mean, so I, I take it as a compliment when people have, like, these, like, extreme reactions because if we weren't good at what we were doing, people would not be paying attention. Don't hate us because we're beautiful. <laughs> uh, But yeah, what I'd also say, and and I think it has to do with um, like you know the a generational thing. Like besides just like the way boomers and whatever are versus you know whatever we are. Like, um, so the Enneagram got big, like <clears throat> or like started becoming like professionalized in like the '90s, and then kind of to the 2000s got online basically. And through that time, like. Uh, There had been like lawsuits between Helen Palmer and Oscar Chazo and in the in the late 80s and stuff. And so like the Enneagram field went through this like contentious, it was a very close-knit field. It was like only a few authors. Like I would go to Enneagram conferences beginning in like 2007, maybe, uh, 2008. And it was still like the wake of all that where everybody was like really like icy but nice and professional. Like they were like, mm. it clearly like, They hadn't gotten over a bunch of like infighting and everybody would disagree with each other and kind of like steal each other's ideas and stuff like this. And so now it was like all this emphasis on like, like bring people together. We're a one coherent profession, da, 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 da. You know, it's like, it was this emphasis on getting along and like honoring everybody's contribution and nobody was really wrong. And, you know, the result of that, in my view, is like, 
Well, so so it was like the the, the field was like kind of self contained for a while, and then the evangelicals got it, and especially Ian Cron, and just like he took already bad teachings and then just like made them even worse and pop more popular and gave them to a evangelicals which are not good for their intellect you know like not and well that's for their- that's millions of people that that is the yeah. best-selling enneagram book by far the most alarming aspect of that is that the the book that has introduced millions of people to the enneagram in the last few years has been written by someone who can't even really qualify as a good enneagram teacher it's exactly. alarming. and who's totally mistyped and all this shit but you know, like getting into the 2000s and then the evangelical thing, this like small group of like International Enneagram Association like members basically didn't realize how the Enneagram was sort of getting out of their own hands. You know, like people were coming up with their own theories on the internet, they're coming up with their own uh, understandings elsewhere. And so it was sort of like the, the old crew like didn't really adapt or evolve. And because they were all agreeing with each other, like people couldn't really like get into the meat of what was like good Enneagram theory versus bad. And so part of what we are doing here is like, we're saying everything the bad and all the stuff on like personality cafe and stuff like that is bad. But we're like really vocal about how bad things are, how incomplete ideas are, or like our criticisms basically, which like any serious academic endeavor needs like a lot of ruthless criticism. And so we get a lot of hate because it's disrupted like, you know, a lot of people who listen to this, like, actually personally know a lot of Enneagram teachers, you know? And so there's not just this, like, oh, I like the book that I read this in, but there's, like, an attachment to the teachers, to the ideas. There's, like, a, there's a lot of stuff going on there that's, like, emotional, emotionally driven. And we have, a, like, a very blunt delivery style. And then there's the whole thing about, like, the way we type people and, uh, you know, people feeling invalidated by, like, if they pay for y'all's typing service and turns out they're not the type they think they are, uh, then they hate us, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like all these different reasons uh, for, for the hatred are, are really strong. I mean, Emika, you remember, I think David, too, you remember when, like, on one of those Enneagram groups, we were accused of uh, verbal rape. Type because- raping. So that, the exact phrase where we were accused of type raping an individual on the internet. Because uh, we just, like, very, I mean, it was very neutrally, like, saying, actually, the, the sexual drive is not intimacy. It's uh, putting oneself ahead of sexual competition. And we were posting things like, you know, certain animals doing displays that sometimes kind of aggressive or whatever. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was somehow offensive because we were being these this lone band of dominant males that were <laughs> raping and pillaging. Well, I also think it's kind of like a generational gap because those of us who interact on on Twitter or social media, you know, Gen Z and fucking like millennials, it's just we engage with each other very differently. The way people learn from each other is very different from the way boomers learn. So coming into the Enneagram, I really felt that I couldn't engage with anyone because everything I saw was fucking lame. A bunch of like old boomers who are stuck in their own ways and stuck in old ideas or not looking to update and are not looking to question that maybe all these fucking type panels that you have are filled up with mistyped people. All this kind of shit where if you're a younger person and you're used to uh, the shit talk that goes on on social media and disagreement that can happen, uh, I think that's going to change over the next couple of decades. And so go ahead and hate us. We're just ahead of the curve. I had some woman uh, recently that, like, I joined some fucking random Enneagram group because they just come up on my Facebook suggestions. And she, like, sent me this long message of, like, listen, 
I've been warned about you by multiple people and it, <laughs> like laying down the law kind of thing, but it was like, it didn't make any sense. And I was like, all right, uh, what specifically are you telling me? Like, what is it? What are you trying to get out of this? And she couldn't say, she just said she'd heard things about me and stuff like this. And it was like, you're a bad person. Yeah. I think she was a nine wing one, just like tone policing. But mm-hmm. I was like, without any specific things, just like, be on your guard. And I was like, all right, just go ahead and ban me. You know, like, I don't care. Just ban me. Like, I, I don't give I think I'm I, a bad person. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't care. Like, just like, I'm, I'm, all, I, I'm always polite in this stuff. And I'm never just like retyping people. But, I, you know, uh, it's just this like lay down the law bullshit. It's like, come on, like, shut the fuck up. And people also have said or um, theorized that we are generating controversy as a marketing tactic. Now, granted, controversy does sell, but if this was something we were doing to generate interest and attention for ourselves, at some point it would stop, right? At some point you have to realize, like, this is just how these motherfuckers are. Like, this is what they are every day. This is how they exist. So, you know, I think over time, people realizing that we're not stopping, we're not going anywhere. We're just growing and expanding. You're going to get more of our personalities, and at some point you're going to have to see beyond what you think the personality is and see the real intention of the work that we're doing. And those people who recognize what we're doing get it. But if you want to fixate on some comment or typing or whatever it is that you're offended by, what the fuck ever. And we are being like, you know, like fuck off or whatever. But at the same time, like all of us here are actually very, I think like respectful and polite and kind and like nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings and nobody wants to make anybody feel bad. Like it's just sort of, uh, a stance that like just I don't know like getting so much BS over the years over for just being clear about a different point of view it's like mm-hmm. it's very obnoxious you know I mean that's one thing that this is about the negative feedback is it's hard for people some people in their minds to integrate us being you know negative assholes or digging into the ugly stuff about types and so forth and we're respectful, kind, caring people. You know, some people can't put that together, and so they have to make you one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Being nice does not mean anything about being a kind person. And, like, God, I, you know, having been, in like, a, a, you know, behind the scenes with a lot of, like, knowing what, you know, a lot of main Enneagram teachers, like, there's so much bullshit behind niceness, you know? Like, don't fall into anybody's presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy to me that people have these impressions of us, but it generally comes with the territory when you tell someone that what they think a type is or the way that they're seeing themselves is incorrect. It's not personal, but people will take it personally and they create all kinds of, in order to, in, to avoid addressing the, the distinction or the thing that's actually being said, you have to be, we have to be painted into uh, as, you know, villainous characters that are hurting people. Uh, but, you know, we really care about the material and we care more about the material than placating people's feelings. And that's really what it comes down to. If that makes us assholes, then we are very proud to be assholes. Yeah, I mean, we care more about the material than our own, like, fucking reputations. And yeah, I think sorry. that's really a big thing, too, is like, it's not like, oh, guys, so you have a group meeting. Let's uh, let's learn to just be more kind because of our reputation. Like, I get all these, like, kind of, ve- like, this that woman that messaged me, these sort of, like, veiled, sort of threatening mm-hmm insinuations of like well how can you be an enneagram teacher if you're p 
people say this stuff about you or, you know, like, oh, oh no, I got to be really like placate everybody to be an Enneagram. Like, I don't care as much about being an Enneagram teacher as I care that there's like a counterforce representing what I think is like an authentic understanding against all just the like nonsense out there. Mm -hmm. All right, we got to really move on. Next one. Hi, y'all. First, I just wanted to say how much I enjoy your thick, girthy podcast. (laughs) You all get a lot of shit from some parts of the Enneagram world, but you hands down have the best material on the Enneagram, and it really makes a big difference, including in helping me on my journey to ultimate bimbofication through the Enneagram. So I do have a question for y'all. Sometimes you've talked about how a blind instinct or, or a certain instinct can be compartmentalized in both people and in society. Uh, example being internet trolling as an expression of compartmentalized social instinct. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about examples of the self-preservation instinct being compartmentalized, whether in people or in society. Um, thank you all very much and keep it girthy. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I feel like we could really do like a an episode, episode yeah. it's like an episode because yeah. like I've, I, I i love that question i had a lot uh originally that was going to go into my book about the compartmentalized blind spots and then i you know way shaved it down and sometimes i can't remember some of the shit i originally had on it and i, I need to refresh but um yeah the compartmentalized blind spot is something that i'd like i think it'd be good to talk about more yeah uh because yeah it's very weird well, his specific question is about compartmentalized self press. So let's hit that real quick and then move on. Part of what I mean by compartmentalizing a blind spot is that the blind spot is so blind that it's not part of the self concept anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like you can't take ownership for the behaviors of your self press instinct acting out. And one of the things I've seen that you'd normally see nor- more typically in somebody who's self press dominant but is like kind of like a hoarding uh quality or like like just living in filth you know like mm. like it's like a buildup of environment and a buildup of stuff and a buildup of like almost like self-pres saturation but it's in somebody who's like self-pres blind and um you know it's an it's a product by product of neglect but uh there's this weird way that it becomes almost like a a comfort or something like this like it's an environment or something when you say neglect you mean neglect of that instinct yeah like neglecting how the environment is impacting oneself mm-hmm. uh, okay neglecting yeah neglecting the self-praise will lead to neglect of your space overeating could be one example I, i've known a lot of self-praise blind people who like compulsively eat and or or some other kind of substance or drug or drinking or something like this, but it's like a constant like oral, you know, need to fixation. Yeah, like I'm not actually attending to the well being of my body, so I'm doing this weird thing that seems like maybe like I, I've known a self blind who like drinks a lot and and romanticizes it as this sort of you know like badass. I don't give a fuck about myself kind of thing, but it's it's definitely got this like baby needing nipple quality. One thing I would say, an uh, example of compartmentalized uh, self-pres that I've noticed in my partner is that there is a diminished sense of how factors in your lifestyle might be affecting, for example, your emotional life. So, for example, yes. if you're having a bad day at work, your job sucks, 
um, or you're not getting enough sleep. For most people who have self-pres, they would be aware of how that would make you feel shitty and you'd be in a bad mood. And being able to identify, okay, if I want to feel better, I need to sleep more. I need to change, you know, my job or something along those lines. But what happens with self-pres blind, it, it seems like that attention gets obscured or it's like, oh, it's this other thing. Or I need to buy more stuff to feel better, but I'm not actually zeroing in on the, the self-pres issue that's actually affecting me. So I've, I've seen how, like, you know, it seems like you take it for granted that if, if you're being bothered, if your job sucks and you're not getting enough sleep, that you would just attend to that. But with self-pres blind, it's like they can't sense into that. And, so, and then they overdo some other aspect of self-pres that, that's actually possibly making the problem worse. Yeah, exactly. All right, we got to move on. Uh, hey, guys. Just wanted to ask about the uh, relationship or correlation between the cognitive functions and uh, the Enneagram. So, um, in my opinion, I think there are some sort of cognitive functions that clash with um, with some Enneagram types. Uh, so I was curious to see your um, information on this. So, for example, yeah, and other stuff like how does um, a co- um, an Enneagram type affect the overall behavior and presentation of a cognitive function. Okay, and she had a second unrelated question, but I'm going to play it now because they both have sort of short answers or something we could explore later. I wanted to ask about the uh, typing collages thing. Like, what are the the specific themes you look at in um, in the images posted by someone, let's say, who's um, SXSO, uh, and let's say that that collage doesn't have anything like sexual in it, like blatantly sexual in it, um, or like um, someone posted something that's like um, SOSP, um, and they have something sexual in it. Like, how do you tell the difference between? Uh, those two stackings and like all of the stackings in general what are the general themes that you look at so yeah the answers to these two questions are pretty quick we could do a whole episode on the collage exercise but me joseph and david have been discussing doing some videos for dark arts academy going into each of the stackings and for how we're typing them with the collage exercise and not just the collage exercise but even during the video typings because it's a whole thing you don't want to give the game away for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a couple tips on the website. There's a whole page where you can see some of the things that we're looking at. But um, it is very intuitive. And even if we gave it to you, gave the blueprint, so to speak, it is something that it's a practice. And you kind of have to get underneath each instinct stacking to really get at it. Because it's experiential. It, right. You got to go through a bunch of people and look at them. <clears throat> and people that are of different types with the same stacking, et cetera. But to quickly answer her question, like the thing about someone who has sexual stuff in their um, collage, I've reiterated this over and over again, and it's never ceased to, seems to penetrate into people's understanding of this stuff, is that it's not what's in the collage, that the instincts are about our relationship to psychological boundaries and sensations. So certain things feel right. So we can make a, a let's make a sexy collage, um, or even use objects that don't have anything sexual. The idea is that there's certain qualities that we're aligned with or that we're sensing into that feel right. And if you have sexual in your stacking, there's going to be 
some level of penetrating charge or transformation that's going to show up in your image, you know, unconsciously. And so it's not about the content, it's about the style. And that's what we're typing when we're looking at collages. Um, And then the other question was about the cognitive type stuff. We have an episode that's dropping this week where we started getting into objective personality. And I think it's just something we want to do in the next year is just to explore MBTI um, and see if we can land on any connections between that stuff and uh, type. But that's all. That's going to be a whole thing. I'm not really an INF. I'm an INFP4. (laughs) Hi, I'm calling with a question for David. Specifically, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the concept of spin flow versus contraflow and how it shows up. I love the theory and I love the idea, but I want to see it in practice. And I know that, David, you're the king of abstract language, so I don't expect you to have a terribly concrete response because it is a pretty um, vague, though I think valid idea. But how do you like spot the diff- feel the difference um, conversationally and practically between people who are synflow and contraflow. Because um, I find that the feel is different, but it still feels very abstract because I don't have a concept of what David has in his mind specifically when he's seeing it happen. So that's really my only question. I'd love to hear more thoughts. Thanks. Yeah, he's he's asking David to, to be practical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and does, David, well. does David know what's in David's mind? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> The name of this podcast is not called Practical Enneagram. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, question boiled down is like like in real time in conversation, am I going to, is there going to be something about Sinflow, ContraFlow that I'm going to notice and what would that be? I think he's like wanting to get at like some kind of, uh, is there any way that you've seen this concept be grounded in reality, like in any sort of noticeable kind of way? Well, I would ask you, I mean, what do you see, for example, in the collages? Because well, you notice Sinflow, ContraFlow quickly. Yeah, I mean, you... I'm I'm the king of grounded practicality stuff. Con- right. apl- applying concepts to, you know, making them grounded. Um, you know, it's it's a cool concept. And when I first encountered it, I thought it was, this seems valid, but it's not going to feel valid until I can actually apply it in some kind of way. And it wasn't until the collage exercise that I was like, holy shit, this is actually a, a thing. Um, there's a split between the contra stackings and the sinflow stackings in terms of like usually when we have issues with typing a collage it's the contra stackings that are always confusing and that says something about like the way that they're um sort of like sep- more separate from the uh sinflow stackings and i was like well i can see it in the collages that if it's here and the way people are arranging images and what feels right then it must also show up in the way people are living and so i can say that it's been interesting to observe how the contra stackings feel almost disconnected in their in their ability to connect with people and make connections like Beth, my partner, said on here that she doesn't really have friends. And this is someone who people like and, you know, she's a six and all that stuff and she's right. sexual social. But I have noticed a thing of, you know, if you look at the sin flow versus contra stackings with the same dominant instinct, how easy and how interested they are to in making communal sort of connections and how uh, overly separate um, the contra stackings might seem. But it seems still like a subtle thing, but I think there's something that we can explore and really um, get into, maybe a whole episode. It gets really complicated when you throw in trifix because then right. there's going to be all kinds of 
halfway contradictory or wholly contradictory uh, stuff relative to all of that. And, you know, just in general, I mean, I guess as he's alluding to <clears throat> in the question, you know, the sinflow contraflow thing is, it just, um, <laughs> you know, it's just a matter of putting the instincts in a circle, you know, drawing a line going this way and another going that way. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's energetic. I'm, I'm going to be as vague as possible. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, there's gotta be something there because there is a directionality. So what is the difference? And it kind of, I'm almost saying the idea itself is pregnant still with more stuff to it that I don't even know. I just know that there's a thing there. I mean, a lot of my stuff is just like that. It's just, here's some seeds. I don't know what they're going to turn into, uh, what it's going to grow into, but uh, go ahead and have at it and see what they do in your garden, you know? Yeah. It still needs to be developed, and I still think, I, I mean, these are, a lot of these concepts are like, for me, it's a, it's a process of trying to personally validate it and, and see mm -hmm. how it shows up for me, if I'm actually noticing, and then you know, stuff like the collage exercise gets born. That's kind of how stuff like that happens or, you know, hexad versus attachment. So it's like, we are still in the process of discovering and developing stuff. So we'll see. Just briefly, one way it shows up is with you guys stacking with sexual self-pres in the sense that that's a social last stacking. So it shouldn't feel as much like you're, coming towards me energetically mm -hmm. in a certain way but it does right and and i get that with other people that are that instinctual stacking the the the, the underlying energy is um invasive and coming towards me and it's kind of wanting something i mean i'm sensitive to people kind of wanting something from me right i have but <laughs> um, yeah but but there's that energy about it that it's hunting into you and mm -hmm. it and it has that that going towards kind of feeling and that's why i have that thing about sort of going towards going against yeah we could do a whole episode on it i think um there's a lot we could try to find and land on all right this next one hey big hormone it's daniel kais from the enneagrammer group congrats on 100 episodes I've deeply enjoyed learning from y'all, and I appreciate the human soul y'all share of yourselves in this work. Something that y'all have illuminated for me is the archetypal feminine and masculine energies that appear variously in types and triads. Even as a queer non-binary person, I want to say that recognizing these distinct sexual forces as elements within the life of a sexual organism, such as a human, has enlightened my understanding of humanity and even the abstraction of queerness itself. Thank you for being the slutty reprobate shamans that the Enneagram deserves. God be with you in your war against the establishment. Much love. <laughs> I love that. God, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So there's not much to say there. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That, was that, that is awesome. Good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hey everyone, uh, my name is Shannon. I've been enjoying the podcast and it's been really enlightening coming back to some of it after receiving my typing. Um, one thing I'd love to hear more about on future podcasts is the uh, Renavian groups. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> and how that plays out for each. Um, I'd also love more exploration on 
all the trifixes and how those present for folks with different core types. And then random question, uh, where are your first three episodes? Because it looks like they start with number four. Thanks. All right. So Spotify was being weird when I started the podcast and they had a requirement that the file that was uploaded had to be MP3. And so I'd already uploaded three episodes at that point and I wasn't going to delete them. So on Spotify, it only starts at episode four, but on everywhere else, you can see all the episodes. So that's one of your questions. And what she said, she wanted the exploration on Trifix and Hornavian. Didn't we do, we did a reactive competency and a positive triad. We did that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to revisit Trifix because, uh, I mean, when we just did those roasts. They were they were good, but, like, it was just sort of coming alive for the first time, you know? Yeah, like, no. And, I mean, there's so much more to say now that we have these attachment hexad contrasts. And, you know, yeah. some, as, as she was saying, like, what does, uh, what does it do to a hexad type to have an attachment fix or two attachment fixes and, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa? So, yeah, yeah. I that's really good stuff. I want to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd make for a good episode. Yeah, real, real quick. Well, I mean, this is an aside, but uh, I thought it was really interesting because we did typing video on MJ and Lana Del Rey, and we ended up looking at Nicole Kidman as a four with three wing and six and nine fixes. And it was so obvious that she was a four in real time. Like, it's so obnoxious, the core type. Like, even with attachment fixes, or you, you could say like a, attachment type who has hex fixes that you're not it's still not going to get in the way of seeing how fucking obvious the core type structure is um, right. we were watching some video where she was just like constantly correcting the interviewer as like no no no, that's not you know the image management <laughs> was there and also the hex sort of like ruining the vibe to to correct you know the image was happening and that's a four with six and nine fixes and, and a three wing so that's funny uh, okay so Somebody, I think this is someone who just wants more shit. Hold on. Hey, I really appreciate your podcast and my friends. So please keep up the good work. I would like to hear you guys think through, talk through how the combination of the object relations and the Hornavians combine to create type, or at least to help people understand the inner workings of the type. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll I mean, that was key for me to understanding eight. I think, you know, when you put rejection, object relations, rejection stance with the, a reactive type, it you all of a sudden start to understand how a type can be so separate, but also just generating so much shit, like uh, energy around themselves, like, you know, provoking people at the same time. So the combination of rejection and also being a reactive type can really inform your understanding of the inner mechanics of uh, what that type is. So, I mean, we could explore that, you know, for all the types to combine all the stuff that we've learned to form, I, I think, just really more impactful descriptions for people that can, oh, shit, that's, that's really what that is. That's, that's really what's going on there. Yeah. Um... That kind of level of stuff, like in organizing stuff, almost makes me think of like courses, you know, mm-hmm. like doing. Mm-hmm. Like, That's what people just... want, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I like just uh, like did how much income I made this year. And it's like so fucking pathetic. So I got to. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I, like I do all this Enneagram stuff and it's like I make 
nothing. So I got to figure out some shit too of like how to yeah, actually I use mean, this. Taking but. a page out of some, um, you know, people that we're, we've been talking about, the objective personality people, like they're inspirational to me on from a business perspective because I've always thought that there's a limit to how much people are interested in personality content or products and things like that. And to see people that are, they're working really hard and they're really putting out, you know, weekly videos and uh, shows and stuff like that and typing at the same time that it seems like they're doing really well. It's just helped me see that people are really (coughs) hungry for content and teaching and really well done courses. And we are in the age of anyone can produce anything on their own. They can make a show out of anything. And if you, uh, people are asking us for this stuff and if we can produce it well, like they're going to pay us for it. And that's kind of what inspired us doing Dark Arts Academy is like, oh shit, people, this is like Netflix now. Netflix for Enneagram stuff. Mm -hmm. Just keep producing stuff at a high quality level and people will pay you for it. Yeah. Fuck. I can't write another book. (laughs) (laughs) But but you can talk. Talking into a microphone is a lot easier than writing a fucking book. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Doing a course, though, is kind of almost like having to write a book. Yes. Do a manual and shit like that. Yeah, I'm, like, so fucking worn out. and <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Dark town. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a question about Grimes. Uh, greetings, princesses of the underworld and nether regions. So, first, I love your Trifix episodes and David's beautiful book, and would love to see more Trifix specific content like exploring the trifixes through core types or instincts uh but my actual question um as a seven wing six two self mistyped as a five wing four it still feels like um a lot of five descriptions apply to me uh or at least they internally apply to me uh, and i see a lot of 70 traits and people typed as five what in god's name are the non-negotiables for example um i was watching a bunch of grimes videos the other day and she's typed as uh, social sexual 516-592. And she seems like a seven wing six huh to me. Um, so seven four nine. Uh, she has a million interests. She's off on her own planet. She's like like in a huh-ish way, not like an autistic five um, basement dweller way. Uh, she seems like not even remotely specific or withdrawn uh, and kind of comes off as a crust punk bimbo. So I'm just wondering if you can part the myth for me. Many blessings to you and yours. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing that, that's been happening repeatedly is uh, fives that we, celebrity fives or even fives in the group that we've typed. Because a five is a head type. And for a lot of people, you see like a manic, heady quality in someone and they, they immediately, who's not grim, for example, uh, and they immediately assume that's seven. And I just think... There's some lookalikes in the Enneagram. There are a lot of counterphobics. They're not counterphobic, but just, you know, assertive looking or tough looking sixes that a lot of people would assume were eights uh, or even type threes that people would, would mistype as eights. And so I think what we try to emphasize is looking at the inner mechanics of types uh, and also how that might show up because there are some clear distinctions between what makes that make a Grimes uh, a five and not a seven. But I'm just going to write you know, grimes down as for something we could do for a dark arts Academy episode. But really what it comes down to is that she is not a positive type, even though there are some fives that present that way, you really have to look closely and look into the videos and, and to find the distinction. Um, so there are some clear distinctions for why we typed her as a five and not a seven, but that is a common misconception that shows up a lot. Yeah. And some of that is, uh, 
body type impressions too, as far as distinguishing or catching that fiveness. I mean, it for me, it's it's um, pretty apparent with her. I mean, I understand there's that layer of kind of fluff and positivity and buoyancy and so forth, but uh, there's something about that five disconnect from the body that registers for me in my body. So, and that's not particularly translatable or something you can hand off to somebody necessarily. I think that's something we could maybe do um, like a versus series where we could do episodes exploring like six versus eight or five versus seven because mm-hmm. it's something that comes up quite a lot. So that might be something we could explore on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I All like right. that idea. So we got one more. Hello, Big Hormone Enneagram podcast. Um, I am calling in because I've been an avid listener ever since finding the knot of four episodes and realizing that I am not a four, and in fact, I am a nine, after having mistyped for a few years as a four. Um, And since then, I've learned so much about myself and other people um, being properly typed um, and also engaging in the high quality content that you produce. So I'm very grateful for the time and energy that you all put into making this podcast. Since being typed as a Bermuda, I'm particularly interested in learning more about how factors like overlay, instinctual stacking, and the environment can all uh, come together and result in such a variety of expressions of this trifix in particular. Um, Thanks again for all that you do and keep it up. Um, I guess just exploring personalities to explore all the different layers that can affect uh, and influence the way a type might show up. And if you can see a type expressing itself in all these different ways, or even a trifix like Bermuda, then you can sort of uh, begin to see more clearly what uh, essentially that trifix or that type is really about. And that's one of the things I'm curious about and and what makes typing people so interesting is that there's so many different kinds of people that come through and there's so many Bermuda types or attachment types that show up and there's so many different variations of them. But to get at the core thing of what attachment is despite culture, despite sexual orientation, despite what your overlay is, um, that's interesting. And that's part of what makes the Enneagram like endlessly deep and hard to grasp because it just feels like... um, there's so much more to discover. Um, it never ends. Yeah, I feel like we do more stuff on Bermuda, too, because that's uh, both a common and also confusing trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, stuff that we've been doing in the last year, like Hexad versus Attachment, has been huge. Uh, Joseph came up with the, you know, the thing of overlay and to see how that is sort of like a subtle, especially for you know types like Bermuda that mm-hmm. show up very often, how do you drill down even more, get more specific about how the different Bermudas are showing up? Um, I think that's something we're going to explore in the next year because uh, we've been typing people for their, officially for like the past two years now. And we've been releasing a lot of content for Bermudas. And I think it would be really helpful to explore all the different ways that Bermudas are specific and mm-hmm. are different. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice to hear. Well, yeah. That's it. I think we did pretty well on time. Yeah, all right. we did. Thanks, everybody, for submitting your shit. We yeah, appreciate you, so you listening. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, please help us out any way you can by sending money for our podcast gear or recommending to friends, writing reviews. Um, hopefully, we'll be doing 100 more of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, thanks for... Uh, yeah, we really appreciate... I know, like, sometimes uh, 
people get nervous about writing in or calling in, but it helps us uh, too in terms of stuff to talk about and mm-hmm. think about. So, oh, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of, I have now uh, graduated, so I have more time. So, if you guys nice. want any specific, yeah, thank God. If you guys want any specific things that you want me to talk about, I know you guys had mentioned that before. Send in a comment or message me on Instagram, please. I like this, uh, like Nancy's sex advice. Yeah, yeah. I'm all <laughs> down for sex advice. If you need any, go for it. Also, uh, I'd like some feedback from people. I've been had it recommended to me from a few people that I do an OnlyFans where I'm uh, reading yeah, erotica. You sent me yours. And <laughs> I've, I've recorded one erotica story i haven't finished editing it to send to nancy to get her approval um (laughs) but uh but um yeah i'd like some feedback on uh people need to speak up and tell me they would pay something for that to hear my voice reading lovely erotica i mean (laughs) (laughs) i hear your voice every week and i would still pay for it so So, yeah well the next episode after this is gonna be our drunk party end of the year party Ooh. this is the 100th episode this is the last one that, that'll air uh the last week of the year but then the next episode is going to be our drunk um end of the year party which we'll record a couple days before new year's eve but that won't go live until the first week so when you do get into that or listen to that episode just grab some drinks and drugs and join us for a party <laughs> all right i gotta i gotta get my sick ass off here i'm fading. okay yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. All right. Wait, no better, John. Is, this is wild, though, that we've had 100 episodes. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> we didn't really think about that. But <laughs> we're all like feels, social blind, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It, it yeah. feels weird because it's like the last two years just flew by because you know, all the stuff that's been going on 2020, 2021, like, yeah. it doesn't even feel like real years. Yeah. You guys have been, like, the highlight of those two years, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just get drunk and talk about all this gay shit uh, yeah. on the next well, one. We got to get really gay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> It'll be great. All right. All right. Later, All right. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. This episode is dedicated to Betty White. R.I.P. Hey, hey, okay. hey. Bitch, you better praise God or I'm a shooting that's on God. I ain't playing by my Lord and Savior. I'm on my job. If you ain't a Christian, I'm going to stab you in the face. If it ain't about Jesus, I'm going to hit you with this cane. Jesus is the Hell yeah, praise Jesus Christ, nigga, free Palestine, free TK. It's the trap game, Abraham Lincoln, four score and 16 bars ago. R.I.P. Betty White, she ain't dead before when she died, cause I know it's coming up. Oh, kitty, hey, little bitch, how you not gonna fuck on a real nigga? Yeah, I'm getting paid, still late on my bills, nigga. Yo, bitch, at my crib, I just let her charge the iPhone. Ask me if these diamonds, nah, bitch, these some rhinestones. Armpit musty. Reebok's dusty, my show got canceled cause white folks don't trust me. Now I'm in the strip club with glue on the bottom of my shoe, nigga. That's how I'm due. Hey, I'm stealing money from these.